Hall of Fame coaches, national champions, lottery picks, the best minds in basketball. Welcome into the sidelines with Evan Daniels. Hello and welcome to the Sidelines Podcast. I'm your host, Evan Daniels, college basketball insider at FS1, as well as the director of basketball recruiting at 24-7 Sports. Today's episode is the 86th episode of the Sidelines Podcast, and the featured guest is Villanova head basketball coach Jay Wright. Our conversation touched on a wide variety of topics, including him meeting the Pope this past summer. I asked him what he's learned from Greg Popovich in the USA basketball experience. He also touched on Coach K. Plus, we talked about his current team and his recruiting success. Before we get to that conversation with Jay Ryder, I want to make sure that you are subscribed and supporting the Sidelines podcast. The best way to do that is to shoot over to Apple Podcasts and or your favorite podcast app. Make sure that you are subscribed. Also leave a rating and a review. All those things are helpful. You can also shoot me a note over on Twitter or Instagram. The handle is at Evan Daniels. Now let's jump to that conversation with Villanova head basketball coach, Jay Wright. It's time to go minimum with Evan Daniels. Send it in, big fella. Now let's welcome in Villanova head basketball coach Jay Wright to the sidelines with Evan Daniels podcast. Coach, welcome back. How are things? Evan, how are you, buddy? I am doing really well, partly because it's basketball season, my favorite time of the year. <laughs> hitting high school events, hitting college events, a lot going on. It is a good time of year, man. I, I think all of us in the basketball world, once October starts and we're into our, our rhythm of practices and getting ready, all's right in the world. We're very comfortable. It's kind of crazy how quickly the off season goes. How much time did you have to, to really enjoy the title run? You know, this time... A little bit more time, Evan. After 16, it was such a whirlwind. Uh, it was just a – I just think it was a unique time in Philadelphia. You know, Philadelphia hadn't won a championship in a long time, and everybody was really excited around here. It was our first time – not Villanova's first time, but our our first time being at Villanova. We didn't really know how to handle anything. And, um, you know, we accepted every offer, did everything we were supposed to do. We learned that there's a, a, a great line – to be used when you win a national championship that, well, that's what the national champions did last year. So <laughs> they came. So you're supposed to come, you know, and then we, we had the team go on a trip to Spain that we had previously scheduled in August. So I felt like that summer and fall after 16, we didn't do a good enough job of resting our guys. And I thought in 17, you know, we went into that tournament in 17. We were, we were the, I know we were a number one seed. I can't remember if we were the number one seed, but we were a number one seed. And I felt I, we played uh, Mount St. Mary in the first round, and I could see right away that I could see we were just mentally drained. And uh, then we played a great Wisconsin team in the second round, and, and they got us. And, and they were great, and they were a very experienced team. I also think that part of it was we were mentally fatigued. Right. So this year we did a great job of of really cutting down what we did, and we did get to enjoy it and rest. Yeah, it makes sense. You know, you're becoming a regular at this. Two of the last three years won a national championship. Maybe this is a weird question. To you, what's the most gratifying thing about winning that NCAA tournament? You know what, Evan, it's really strange. I, it doesn't even seem like we did it to me. You know, I'm so engrossed in this season right now and these guys. Right. I guess to answer your question fairly, it would be to see the players on that team reach their individual potential and also to see a group reach its individual potential. You just feel so good for them watching them do it, you know, and accomplish it because you know 
they trusted you and they worked hard and they listened and you know it paid off for them. Right. As you and I both know, in in this world of sports, you can do all the right things and it still doesn't guarantee you the success of a championship or even individual success, you know. Sometimes just things don't go your way. So it's really gratifying when you see guys listen and try to do the right things and then it pays off for them. Of course. Now shortly after winning uh, the championship, you had an opportunity to meet with the Pope. How was that? That was amazing. <laughs> that was definitely uh, a highlight of, of my life. Um, my wife, Patty, and I went with um, the chairman of the board of Villanova, Joe Topper, and his wife, Maureen, paid for the entire Villanova board of trustees to go to Rome. It was wow. incredible. And so we were actually scheduled to go anyway. You know, It wasn't because we won the championship. It. it was We were scheduled. Um, so it was even more fun when you, you, we got there uh, to the Vatican and a lot of the uh, the cardinals and, and the other priests there, um, they were basketball fans. You know, I, I can't say Pope Francis is. He's more of a soccer fan, but they all watched the game. So they were so excited about talking about the game. It was, it was really cool. But meeting Pope Francis himself was uh, so emotional, so spiritually fulfilling it was uh one of the great moments of uh of our lives that's awesome something else in the fall happened to you um you were named assistant coach for the usa basketball national team and and through that program i know you've been able to spend a considerable amount of time uh, around greg popovich what have you kind of taken from that and from him and and have you ever been able to kind of steal some stuff from him and and apply it to kind of your coaching philosophy definitely as you mentioned uh during all the years I've been involved with USA Basketball. You know, I was an assistant to Jim Beheim in the in the 90s and um, on a world uh, under 21 team. And then I, I, I got to coach the, uh, the the World University Games as the head coach. I had Jeff Capel and uh, Bobby Gonzalez as our assistants. And so, you know, I got to learn from those guys. And, and then one year, I was a head coach of the Pan Am teams. I, got, I had uh, James Jones. And Mark Godfrey as my assistants and learn from them. But the time I spent under Coach K working with the national team, I've learned so much from he and Jerry Colangelo. And now Pop recently, the last few years, um, just in- incredible humility and Pop and Coach K in, in different ways. But you said you asked about Pop, the ability to connect with players to make them aware that he's concerned about their individual development, their individual success, but to do it within a team concept. It's really amazing to be at practice and watch, you know, I'd be on the practice floor and watch Pop coach the same guys that I was on the practice floor with Coach K, and they both got them to do the same things in different ways. It was really cool. And obviously, Coach Popovich just got named as the head coach of the national team. Do you have aspirations of potentially fulfilling that type of role one day? I would love to do it. I don't think that uh, just the way USA basketball is moving, I don't think you're going to see a college coach again coach the Olympic team. That's just my opinion. Got it. I'm not totally against that either. You know, it's such – what Coach K did with those NBA guys was truly incredible. I don't know if another college coach could do that. And even to the point where I think the USA basketball thought it was real important to have an NBA head coach this year, I I think myself being the only college assistant might even have been kind of a 
gesture to college basketball. You know, I think they might have been even more comfortable with all NBA assistants because they are NBA players. You know, you're you're coaching all NBA players and they're playing against all pros. So, and it is more of a pro game. So I, I think I'm really blessed to even be a part of it. And, uh, and I think it is best to have an NBA coach run the team. Obviously, uh, being a part of that is a heck of an accomplishment. We, we mentioned the two titles. You've got a bunch of Coach of the Year awards, countless Big East titles. What's kind of the, uh, the, the accomplishment that, that you're most proud of at this point in your career? I know it sounds corny, but I, just being at Villanova and um, being here 18 years and having all our players graduate and you know maintain that tradition and the culture here at Villanova, um, I, I know <laughs> – some Villanova fans might not say this, but Villanova fans, true Villanova fans, wouldn't really care if we won a national championship. But to compete nationally, to compete in the Big East, to do it with guys that get their their degrees, to do it with guys that are proud to be a part of the Villanova community, that's what they care about the most. And and I do too. And so I, I'm I'm really proud to have been here 18 years and, and keep this great tradition going. Now you're uh, seven games into this season. Are you missing Jalen Brunson yet? Yeah. No, I missed him. I told him every time I talked to him, I told him. We would talk, we'd talk. I said, man, I miss you, man. <laughs> and uh, But I should tell Ryan Orchard, yeah, I can know the same thing. And, and and Randy Foy and Kyle Lowry and Scotty Rail. I You know, once you have a guy running your team, for you just get so comfortable and, and – and really one of one of my weaknesses as a coach is sometimes I get too comfortable and too confident. You know, I never want to take those guys off the floor. And and, and so it, it is something that I, I have to adjust to. And I think our team's starting to do a pretty good job right now. All those guys that you lost from last year seem to have had some immediate success in the NBA. How much have you been able to keep up with those guys? Do you talk to them regularly? I usually text with them, and it's hard. I do try to keep up with them, you know, what they're doing, you know, even to the point I, but, you know, we get so busy. Mikhail Bridges came in and played the Sixers. And I didn't even know till day of the game. I didn't realize he was coming to town and he, he called and then I called him back. We didn't catch each other. And the next day he called me and I was like, damn, man, I'm so sorry. Right. But we had a game the next day, but they, they follow everything we do. They hit me with texts, texts and, you know, even in the down times, like after our, our, our losses against Michigan and Furman, all those guys hit me up. It just reminded me what our program's all about, and that really helped me. It really did. Um, they, they probably helped me, and they stay connected to our players and help our players more than, than I help them. You mentioned those two losses, and, and this is kind of crazy to think about, but that was the first time you've lost back-to-back games in more than five years. What was kind of the office like after that? What was your message to the team after those two games? Well, believe it or not, it was the same. Uh, it really was. Like We never, you know, when we were going through that streak, we never really thought about that streak. Uh, you know, you just go on, to, you always move on to the next game. But if you would lose one, uh, every time you'd win the next one, everybody would bring that up, you know, right. for a day, <laughs> for a day. And then, <laughs> you know, and they'd be on to something else. So we, we never really talked about that streak. So when, when we lost it, we didn't, we didn't talk about it either. You know, we just, we always try to live in the moment and try to move on to the next day and, and try to get better the next day. So, you know, when you're winning, that's a challenge too. You win and, Everyone's talking about, everyone talks about how great you are, and you, you have to still 
stay hungry and humble and, and get on to that next day to improve. When you lose, it's actually easier. <laughs> it's actually easier to get to that next day and know that, hey, we, we have to get better. So th- there was no no panic and, and, and no disgrace in losing two games. It's just we, we knew we were an experienced team. We, we, we learned a lot from those two games. And we played two good teams. Furman's a very good team. And obviously Michigan, I think, is one of the best teams in the country. For sure. And you guys obviously bounced back pretty nicely. You won three games at the Advocare, including uh, beating Oklahoma State by double digits and then knocked off top 15 ranked team in Florida State. What did you see from that group in in maybe those three games that you hadn't seen previously? And kind of what was your takeaway from that weekend and winning that championship? One of the simple things was we we developed a rotation, you know, in in the uh, in our in our first three games, Morgan State, Quinnipiac and and Michigan, we were just you know, we had 11 guys. We were just trying to play everybody and see who could do what. And, uh, you know, against Morgan State and Quinnipiac, it worked out okay. You know, we were able to play everybody. But I felt like in the Michigan game, once we started making substitutions, it kind of wasn't fair to a lot of the younger guys. We we just got caught with a, a lot of young lineups on the court. Not that they're not good players, but they just didn't know enough of what we were doing. And then you're playing against a veteran team in Michigan that executed really well. And I felt the same thing happened in Furman a little bit. We just we got caught with some really young lineups out there. So we we, we tried to get a, a little bit more of a defined rotation down, starting with the Canisius game. We got that. And now we got to get back to trying to expand our, our rotation. You mentioned the, the young team part and the lack of experience. Is your approach or has your approach been any different with this group? Then, you know, obviously you've had you've been blessed enough to have a lot of experience the past couple of years. Well, you're right. We have been blessed. You know, a lot of the guys that had to make the decision, do I leave early, do I stay, they just decided to stay for a lot of different reasons. But last year, you know, we we thought Omari and Dante, you know, when we were making our recruiting decisions during the season, we thought they would be back. And, and, And just based on, you know, where they were rated at the time by NBA guys that we were talking to. But as they both finished the season really confidently and 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 productively, we realized okay we, we're going to be right. you know we're, we're going to be young and then they even going into the workouts they weren't projected but they just did a great job in the workouts so it was too late to really to do anything and we brought in Joe Cremo a graduate transfer who's been great for us but even in our system it takes time you know so we have changed how we approach things we're, we're trying to be. Uh, a lot more basic, which at times hurts us, you know, and then, you know, we, we, we like to make a lot of adjustments and we're not able to do it. Uh, I think we're starting to get a little bit of a balance where we're starting to be able to make some adjustments, um, but it's kept a couple of our younger guys out like Brandon Slater and Javon Quinley, uh because we're, you know, we're trying to get lineups in there that have a lot of veterans in there it's slowing their progress but I think they'll both get there do you foresee and, and you said you kind of want to expand the rotation coming up do you foresee those two in particularly getting more minutes coming up just to I don't know kind of uh, develop them yeah I, we, we really want to um, but, but like I said you know we we've had some we're, we're trying to balance uh, getting them some experience and developing them and and just getting too many lineups with too many freshmen out there that don't know what they're doing yet. Right. Um, if we can, you know, if we can get some of the guys that are playing some experience, then uh, we're not as vulnerable when we have four freshmen out there. You know, sometimes we've had four freshmen and Joe Cremo out there, you know. And even our older guys, our sophomores, you know, Jermaine Samuels and 
Colin Gillespie, both who broke their hands during last season, so they missed a lot as freshmen. So we're just, you know, just a real inexperienced team that's dealing with a lot of the things that uh, inexperienced teams do, and uh, it's just not really pretty right now. One thing I noticed from watching you guys against Florida State is Colin Gillespie's development. He's your third leading scorer, but the, the game against Florida State in particular, that I would guess that that was one of, if not the best game of his, his career. Have you been pretty pleased with his play so far? Definitely, Evan. And he's an example of our guys growing. You know, that was, that was definitely the best game of his career. You know, he's only, he's only started seven games in his career, you know, so he's a young guy, you know, and it was a big game, a championship game, and he has his best game. So, you know, that, that bodes well for him and us and, and Demir Cosby Roundtree, another sophomore who that was only his sixth start of his career. And, and, you know, he didn't play a lot last year, but he had a monster tournament, got MVP of the tournament. And so that's what I'm talking about. Those guys are still early in their sophomore year, having not played a lot as freshmen. And they're two of our leaders, you know. And and there's other programs like Duke and Kansas and and, and, and Kentucky. They, they I think they kind of handle those situations better than us with those young guys we're just not built that way but I think we will get there by the end of the year let's jump to recruiting because last week was signing week and you guys signed a a terrific recruiting class two five-star guys by the rankings over at 24-7 sports Brian Antoine and Jeremiah Robinson Earl and then two other guys ranked in the top 60 Eric Dixon and Justin Moore Uh, I'm curious from your point of view is this on paper the best recruiting class you've signed you know what, Evan? I, you, I've been getting asked this, and I, I have to come up with a, a, a more of a um, empirical answer here. <laughs> I, I think it is, but I better look at the numbers. I remember when, when we had Randy Foy and Alan Ray and Jason Frazier and Curtis Sumter a long time ago. I think that was the number two recruiting class in the country. So I want to at least make sure I'm correct. But in, I feel like in terms of uh, balance, you know, at each spot, uh, guys that can play multiple positions, filling needs that we have right now, guys that fit our culture. I feel like it's probably the most well-rounded class we've ever had and, and, and could be the most productive class we've had. How much do you think winning uh, those two national championships have helped you from a recruiting standpoint? It's definitely helped a lot. You know, we, we, we've been able to get involved with probably the same – well, we've been, we, we've been able to get involved with better players – we're still getting the same kind of players, but we're getting our first choice. As you know, in recruiting, you're looking at guys, you know, maybe looking at eight, nine guys that uh, that you would take any three or four of them and be happy. You know, maybe you got your you got a couple you'd, you'd right to, like to have first, but here we're able to, you know, get our eight, nine guys and then pick the top three or four we want and get the top three or four, even though. You know, maybe, as you said, two of them are five-star, two are not. But the the two are not we wanted just as badly as the five-stars. So we feel like we got what we what we really wanted and what fits our program. For sure. And, and you you know, to get these guys, you guys have been going up against, you know, for Brian Antoine, you had to beat out Duke. For Jeremiah Robinson Earl, a Kansas kid, you had to go beat out Kansas. And, and you know, that that was a, a national recruitment, not, not, not more of a local one. So I just thought from – um, looking at this class, that and you mentioned that you were able to go out and get recruit maybe a higher caliber player and get involved with a higher caliber player. Yeah, well, you know what? You're right. I, 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 sh- I shouldn't say, but like a Brian Antoine, 
Jersey kid, you know, was growing up, coming to Villanova games since he was in ninth grade. You know, I feel like we, we, we could have gotten that kid, you know, without the national championships, you know. Right. Jeremiah, Jeremiah, probably not, you know. But but the kind of kid he is and the reason that we got him, maybe we wouldn't have been as aggressive going out for someone, but we probably could have gotten him, if that makes sense. Yeah. You know, we, we didn't reach out thinking, okay, we're not going to waste our time on a guy. But he is he's a kid that really fits our culture, you know, and maybe it's our fault, you know, for not reaching out that far to find a kid like that because I feel like even if we didn't win championships, he'd probably still – want to come to Villanova because he fits in this culture so much. Right. Coach, last thing before I let you go. You discussed this pretty at length at Big East Media Day, but I was curious your take on the G League initiative. Do you think this impacts college that much? Do you really think that there's going to be that many kids that go for the $125,000 and skip college? I, you know what? I'm not sure, but I think we're sending the right message, and I think we're going in the right direction. I think we, as as a basketball community, we need the NBA to lead us in this area that we have to provide for it's for kids that are coming out of high school that are high level athletes. We have to provide them an opportunity to make a, a uh, to be paid a, a fair value for their talents and not have to go to college to eventually get to that fair value. We shouldn't be forcing kids to go to college. It's it's a new era. Kids, it's not our responsibility anymore to get kids to go to college. Kids are educating themselves on the internet. They're educating themselves far more than they ever have. LeBron James didn't go to college, and he's one of the smartest guys I know, and he's handled his business better than anybody I, I know. It's a different era than we used to say, we have to provide these kids an opportunity. I, these high-level kids, I think we're actually holding them back by making them go to college. And we're hurting our own college game in that you're forcing kids to go to school that don't want to go to school. Right. You know? And now we've got them in the system. And, and also, the system is such with sneaker companies, when these kids are in high school, they're traveling all over the country. They're receiving all kinds of benefits. Now, all of a sudden, you got to go to college for a year, and you can't receive any benefits. It just doesn't fit. So for a kid that that wants to really, in high school, they're almost like professionals. They want to continue as professionals, and they have that opportunity. They can make fair market value. For kids that really value going to college and getting college education, I think the next step is for the MBA to say, if they go to college, we won't take them for three years. Let them get a shot at getting their, MBA, their um, college degree and being a full student athlete for three years and be a part of college basketball. Well, everybody seems to be pretty in agreement that I think it's time to, to open this up for kids out of high school. And I guess at this point, it's just the, the NBA's move, whether that's going to be 2021 or 2022. I guess that's it's kind of a wait and see. But I was just curious of your take. Yeah, I'm really interested to see how many kids take advantage of this because, you know, really the great ones, if they don't want to go to college, they could just sign a sneaker, you know, sign an endorsement contract, go play in the G League, right, and then, and then go. So it, it's it's a start, you know. And then the next start is letting them come out of high school. Then they should let them do that. The final piece is then not taking them. The NBA has to do this. We're not going to take them for three years, similar to the baseball model. Right, Coach. I appreciate your time as always. Good luck the rest of the way in the season, and thanks for jumping on the show. Always good talking to you. This is Jay Wright. Gives it to Jenkins for the championship.
and you're listening to The Sidelines with Evan Daniels. Would like to once again thank Villanova head basketball coach Jay Wright for taking the time out and jumping on the podcast. At the end of that conversation, we talked a little bit about the success that he's had on the recruiting trail as of late. We talked about that four-man class, the 2019 group. It is currently ranked number three nationally, number one in the Big East. Brian Antoine and Jeremiah Robinson Earl, those are the... The two highly touted guys are actually Jay Wright's second and third highest rated recruits to ever commit to the school. Antoine ranked number 13 overall. He's a 6'4", pushing 6'5", wing, fast, athletic, a lot of potential as a uh, shot maker, scorer. And then Jeremiah Robinson Earl, this is a kid at 6'8", 235 pounds that is college ready. He's skilled. He's aggressive. He's a very good rebounder. He can score the ball facing the rim or with his back to it. I think both those guys guys can have an immediate impact at Villanova. Justin Moore, Eric Dixon, both very good players. Justin Moore plays in the Catholic League, goes to DeMatha Catholic. And then there's Eric Dixon, who at 6'7", 260 pounds, is a bull. And he can really score the ball around the basket and, and can really rebound. So it's a terrific recruiting class that Jay Wright has put together. And I want to touch on a couple topics, and I want to start with Vanderbilt's Darius Garland. Unfortunately, Darius Garland went down with a torn meniscus. He had surgery on it on Monday, and he is going to be out for the entire rest of the season. I think he was the top and, and will remain the top point guard prospect in next year's NBA draft. This is a kid at at six foot three. is quick. He can facilitate, but he can really score the basketball as well. And was averaging nearly 20 points a game in those first four games and then went down in the first two minutes against Kent State. Uh, just an unfortunate situation. And I talked to Bryce Drew and he just said that the whole deal right now is just surreal and that it was starting to get fun. And so it's an unfortunate deal for Darius Garland, especially a kid that, that I think was going to continue to rise up the point guard list on the draft boards. And the reason I think that is because it is, one, he's really good. And two, that's one of the weaknesses in the, the upcoming draft is that point guard position. I did speak to a high-ranking NBA executive today. I asked him what type of impact um, the news about him tearing his meniscus and him being out for the rest of the season, what type of impact that may have on his draft stock. And get this, he said, zero. He said he thought that it was great that they were being cautious, um, but uh, he has too much body of work. And those guys have obviously seen him in all-star games. Uh, they saw him at Vanderbilt's Pro Day. Uh, a lot of NBA executives were at the game against USC when he scored 19 points. Uh, so they've seen this kid. And you know, from what I was told by one high-ranking NBA executive, from a basketball standpoint, there's, there's no impact. Now, obviously, they're going to take a look at the medical when, when that's released. But these guys know who he is uh, and what kind of player he is. And I still think he has a chance. Uh, to be the first point guard taken in next year's NBA draft. Kid over at Murray State, Mr. Morant, six foot three with a terrific athleticism. Jay Morant, I think he, he will uh, be in that conversation as well. But I, I still think Darius Garland has the potential to be a top 10 pick in next year's draft. Second thing I want to talk about uh, was a cook, a cook. And this is a five star prospect in the 2019 class. I spoke to a cook this weekend. Uh, he informed me that he has withdrawn from Putnam Science Academy. 
He was doing a postgraduate season there. He'd actually graduated last year. He had told me a couple weeks ago that he was considering skipping college altogether uh, to look into going into the NBA draft. That tune has changed. He is now going to enroll in college at the semester break. He's already taken five visits. He's been to Syracuse, Providence, Pittsburgh, Georgetown, and Connecticut. So one of those schools is going to get a cook a cook at the semester break. He would technically be eligible to play in that semester. Now, it remains to be seen what school he's going to go to or if that coaching staff would be comfortable playing him midway through the season. A lot of people believe that Connecticut may be the leader there. Georgetown is certainly deep involved, and some of it's going to depend on which schools uh, have scholarships available. But a Cook, a Cook, uh, ranked number 31 overall in the 24-7 sports composite rankings and number 22 in the top 24-7, he's going to end up – at a college at the semester break. The third topic is Jackson Hayes, and this is a kid over at Texas that's having a, a tremendous start to his freshman season, and uh, the kid really has such a unique story. Uh, he, he had never started a high school basketball game until his senior year of college, and he didn't really take off as a, on the recruiting radar until the summer of his final AAU and so he starts picking up high major scholarship offers in July, and he had still never started a high school basketball game. He's from Cincinnati. Kid grew physically, but he also, his game just matured. He, he's got a ba- uh, an athletic background. His father is an assistant coach for the Cincinnati Bengals. But he's such a cool story, and he's having a great freshman year over at Texas and, and has been pretty impactful uh, in some of Texas's biggest games this season. Obviously, they knocked off North Carolina. He had 15 points and nine rebounds in that game. He's averaging over 10 points at as a freshman and six rebounds. So I, I just think this Jackson Hayes story is really cool and his development has been fun to watch. Obviously, he grew some and he's starting to get a little stronger, uh, but his the impact that he's been able to have from a rebounding standpoint, from a shot blocking standpoint, he's blocking 2.3 shots a game. And then his feel offensively, scoring it a little around the basket. So uh, it's been fun to watch the development of Jackson Hayes. He was an AAU teammate of Romeo Langford, and that's when he really took off playing for 22 Vision in that final summer on the a- the Adidas AAU circuit. I- I've actually had a number of NBA executives and scouts reach out to me about Jackson Hayes, ask about his potential. So he's certainly on their radar, and this is a kid that really has a lot of upside because of his frame, his physical gifts, and the development that we're seeing right before our eyes. And this is a kid that you know he could maybe even have an opportunity to come out this year, but I think it would probably be in his best interest if he went back to school for another year because I think if he goes back to Texas next year, uh, he could be a lottery pick. So hats off to Texas for doing a really good job of evaluating him, assistant Darren Horn uh, went into Cincinnati and was able to pull him out for Texas, and it's it's been a big deal. Before I let you guys go, I want to make sure that you are subscribed and supporting the Sidelines Podcast. The best way to do that is to shoot over to Apple Podcasts and or your favorite podcast app. Hit the subscribe button for me. Leave a rating. Leave a review. You can also shoot me a note over on Twitter or Instagram. The handle is at Evan Daniels. As always, have a great week, and thanks for listening.